today on CityCast Madison. For decades, the only place for Madison residents in need of shelter to go were crowded makeshift spaces in church basements. Soon, a new permanent men's shelter will be constructed to provide temporary refuge as well as access to services to find a place to call home. Jim O'Keefe, Madison's Community Development Director, is here to give us details on why this new shelter is needed and how it represents a fundamental shift in how local government addresses homelessness in our community. It's Monday, October 30th. I'm Dylan Brogan, and here's what Madison's talking about. Jim, thank you for joining me today. Thank you. Happy to be here. So the city and the county are in the process of building a permanent men's shelter near the DMV on Madison's east side. Can you tell me what this facility will look like and why it's needed? Yeah, so this facility uh, will become the first purpose-built shelter for men who experience homelessness in, in Madison and Dane County. That phrase purpose-built is is an important one. We have, for decades, operated shelter facilities in this community out of places that were built with, with other uses in mind, operated out of the basements of, of churches in downtown Madison. In the case of family shelters, they've operated out of um, abandoned schools. So you have to try to make those spaces work as best you can, but they tend not to be as functional as they are if you build them with the express purpose in mind of, to provide that service. So we're in the process of designing this facility. It'll be a, a two-story building, one floor dedicated entirely to sleeping quarters and bathrooms and showers. Another, the, the first floor, um, a little bit more flexible in its use. Um, it'll be a 42,000 square foot facility. And as you said, it's it's located just off uh, North Stoughton Road on the city's east side. Sure. And let's just to catch people up. So during the COVID-19 pandemic, the city converted the fleet services building on First Street to a temporary shelter. Uh, that's where the new public market's going. That was moved to Zaire Road while this new permanent facility is being built. So the mayor has said before that Madison was warehousing people who needed shelter in downtown church basements. You mentioned that. What the mayor's point was that the city and county have really fundamentally changed its approach. Can, can you explain like what is that fundamental change that the mayor's talking about? I would take you back even a little bit further. For 30 years, for um, men in, in our community who experienced homelessness, the only shelter um, that was available to them was in those church basements, primarily Grace Episcopal Church on the Capitol Square. It was a, a cramped, small space. It was not very functional, but the, the operator, Porchlight, local nonprofit group, made it work. The limitations of that space required a lot of policies to be adopted regarding the use of it. For example, men were allowed to use the shelter not more than 90 days in a year. Men who showed up at intake under the influence, whether alcohol or other substances, were turned away. Those were necessary because it was such a, a confined, tight space. There was no space for any kind of support services. Um, and, and so it, it was literally an overnight shelter. The pandemic really forced the issue. A lot of us working in this space knew that the, the church basements were inadequate, but 
health and safety concerns that were part of uh, COVID-19 forced the, the closure of those facilities and thrust the city in the role of having to find alternative spaces. So the, the spaces are better. They're much larger. They're much cleaner. They're much more functional. And they're serving a lot more people. But I, but I think the missing piece and what we really hope to be able to do at the new facility, and I think this gets to what the mayor is talking about, is to provide not just overnight shelter services, but um, help to connect the users of, of, of that facility to the kinds of support services that they need to return to housing. Because this is never intended to be permanent housing. It never was. This, no, uh, shelter is not housing. And, and you know, there's kind of a running d- debate about this, that the more comfortable and, and accommodating one makes um, a, a facility like this, perhaps the more difficult it is to convince people to to work to get into housing. But we don't think anybody wants to, yeah. to live in a shelter facility. So this is going to provide both. It's going to provide that safety net for somebody that that doesn't have housing that needs emergency shelter and then it's going to hopefully provide an opportunity to to connect them with what they need to overcome whatever it is that caused their housing instability the individuals that are utilizing the temporary shelter now how long are they staying what does that look like in terms of them moving out of this emergency crisis situation so there's there's no question that the Madison Dane County housing market is a, a difficult one. The supply is is tight, and uh, people who have situations in in their background, um, perhaps bad credit history or history of previous evictions, some people may have had involvement with the criminal justice system. There are any number of barriers that make this a challenging market for anybody. So I say that, Dylan, to um, I, I don't want to minimize the challenge in finding um, stable housing. What we're seeing since the pandemic is a, a lengthening of homelessness. And I think it's it's probably the the result of a number of different factors. One of them may well be the, the removal of that 90-day limit that caused um, men oftentimes to opt in times of milder weather to forego shelter and sleep on the streets or in parks to preserve their their nights for when the weather wasn't so comfortable. I think the tightening housing market is is also posing challenges, added challenges when property managers and landlords have, you know, lots of people vying for an apartment, whether intentional or not, I think I think they choose the most attractive what they believe to be the most attractive tenants in terms of ability to adhere to to lease obligations and so forth. So we are seeing a, a, a lengthening. Now, this shelter is, is just for men. Why is that? You know, it's been the history in this city that there were separate facilities set up to accommodate um, single men. The Salvation Army has long run a shelter facility that served families with children and single women. We are still considering the possibility of being able to support couples. Mm-hmm. That's a part of the 
the homeless population that we haven't had an answer to in in Madison. As you might imagine, there are there are challenges that come with mixing genders. There might be instances of, of domestic conflict or abuse, and it's been an elusive goal in in Madison to to find a way to accommodate couples. We've not quite given up on that yet at this facility, but some additional hurdles and challenges to navigating that. Yes, yes, and you can also see why a couple, um, you know, wouldn't want to be split up too. Exactly, and and that's their choice. Either they can split up, or they can forego shelter, and those aren't good choices. We recognize that. So just to talk about this this new shelter, when I was reading about it, it's it's being designed a little differently than these temporary shelters. I guess I know the most about the fleet services one. You know, it's kind of just a big room with beds in it. Is, it, is that kind of what it's going to be like at this new facility? It is not. It is not going to be like that. We we have taken in, in our design process, we have gone to great lengths to try to get input from persons who have used shelter facilities either currently or or in the past and persons who have chosen not to use shelter facilities for any number of reasons we've also consulted with shelter operators around the country uh, we have worked with an organization out of denver called uh, shopworks architecture it's a firm that specializes in trauma-informed design so we wanted to hear from from people who will use this facility what was important to them and what were some of the things that discouraged them from using shelter. Safety was an overriding issue. And so there's a lot of attention being paid to how the facility is is laid out and how it can be monitored. But an important concept was this idea of, of large congregate space and the the noise and the chaos that accompanies it when there are so many in this case you know perhaps as many as 200 250 people all in one space so so we're moving away from that concept and and developing in this design six different what we call sleeping pods that are that are smaller um, a little bit calmer a little bit more manageable we think that's one we we are providing dedicated spaces in this facility to serve people who might need to be separated from the general population because of health concerns. They might have contagious health issues. Um, they might have behavioral issues that would prompt us to, to want to keep them, um, at least temporarily, from the general population. We're providing ample space for intake, shelter intake indoors, um, to reduce the need for queuing up, making people stand outside in, in, in clement weather. We're paying a lot of attention to maximizing natural light, trying to make it a less institutional feel. Yeah. And we are providing um, opportunities for secure storage. That was one of the one of the things that led a lot of people not to use shelters. They had no place to store their belongings where they would be safe. So those are some of the features that are being built into this design that we think are directly responsive to what we've heard from from people who have or or might need to use shelter. And just in terms of the investment that the city and the county and private donors too, um, the, but I think it's fair to just say the entire community, right, is uh, investing in this facility. How has that changed just in terms of the resources being provided? Have we changed that um, in terms of just 
allocating what is needed to to truly help people? So if this facility is going to be successful, if it if it is going to be able to do what we all hope and want it to do, it is going to require participation a, a, across the spectrum. So you're right, the, um, the city and county governments are about to make huge investments in this facility. We've committed, um, with a little bit of help from the federal government, now over $24 million to build this facility. Frankly, that's the easy part, in, in my opinion. The, the more difficult, the more challenging aspect of this is how to operate it, how to pay to operate it. To provide some context, uh, Dylan, pre-pandemic, when Porchlight operated the men's shelter out of the basement of, of Grace Episcopal Church, they had an annual budget of less than $600,000 a year. They relied on community organizations, um, mostly faith-based groups, to prepare evening and, and breakfast meals, prepare and serve evening and breakfast meals. They had um, a skeletal staff structure to, to monitor the shelter. Today, we're still doing an overnight shelter and the annual operating budget has gone from that $600,000, it's grown to now $2.4 million. A lot of that is, is directly attributable to the pandemic. For example, there's no longer uh, volunteer groups providing meals, rather those meals are catered um, staffing is much more robust to accommodate the numbers and provide the services that are needed to support um, the, the basic operation of the shelter. So the, the the costs have ballooned and we have been able to do what we've done only because uh, we've been able to draw on substantial federal assistance that was provided to city and county governments um, as part of, of the federal response to COVID, those funds are being depleted. And by the time we open this facility, they will be gone. And so we've got a we've got a huge gap that needs to be filled. The city and the county clearly will will need to spend more to subsidize the operations of the shelter than we have in the past. There's no question about that. But we do not together have the capacity to meet that full budget need. And so we are going to be looking to the private sector for help. And the success of that plea to the private sector is going to say a lot about the range of services, supportive services that we will be able to provide. As we have looked around the country and, and visited with other shelters, what you will not find is shelter facilities like this that are operated by local units of government. They tend to be functions of private sector, um, usually nonprofit organizations with substantial support from private donors. Minneapolis and St. Paul have facilities that we have visited. Um, we kind of view them as the gold standard. They're owned and operated not by the local units of government there, but by their local Catholic charities. So the city and the county have, have stepped up in a big way, and, and I expect we'll continue to do that. We'll need to do that, but we're not going to be able to support this uh, without help from the private sector. Well, thank you, Jim. I really appreciate you explaining this to me, and I think you're highlighting that um, a lot of progress is being made and that you know this is an ongoing challenge for a lot of communities and Madison sort of proves itself with 
what comes next. Would you say that's fair? It it, it absolutely is. You know, uh, people people often talk about eliminating homelessness, and and certainly that's that's everybody's goal. But as we talked previously, housing stability is a fragile thing for many in in our community, and households are often only one health incident or unexpected job loss, uh, one event away from finding themselves suddenly and unexpectedly without housing. So so I think we always need a facility like this for somebody to turn to in, in times of need. And we want to make that a place where they can get resources so that they can return to housing as quickly as possible. Jim O'Keefe, thank you so much for giving us our time today and updating us on this important project that's ongoing. Uh, appreciate your time. Thank you, Dylan. That was Madison's Community Development Director, Jim O'Keefe. And here's what else Madison's talking about. Free speech on campus. A Republican bill will receive a hearing this week that could impose up to a $100,000 fine if University of Wisconsin officials violate a person's right to free speech. Critics of this new bill say the legislation might encourage self-censorship because of the threat of litigation, and some of the penalties would hurt students more than university administrators. If passed by the legislature, Democratic Governor Tony Evers is expected to veto it. And tomorrow is Halloween, and that means trick-or-treaters. Madison doesn't set an official time for the annual distribution of candy to kids, but recommends trick-or-treating take place between 4 and 8 p.m. Surrounding communities like Cottage Grove, Maple Bluff, Middleton, Monona, Sun Prairie, Verona are a little more strict and have varying official start and stop times for trick-or-treaters. Safe bet is to go between 5 and 7 p.m. That's all for today here on CityCast Madison. I'm Dylan Brogan. If you enjoyed the show, why not share this episode with someone who plans on trick-or-treating after 7 p.m.? That's a no-no in Sun Prairie and Wanakee. We'll be back tomorrow morning with more news from around the city. Until then, 